Hello and welcome to SearchCast, a podcast hosted by Isaacson Miller. My name is Rhett Sosby and I'm the recruiting manager here at the firm and a producer of this podcast along with Devin Benjamin, our podcast content manager. I'm pleased to introduce today's return host, Philip Petrie. Philip joined Isaacson Miller in 2006 and is the firm's human services practice area lead. He is committed to finding visionary and mission-driven leaders for organizations serving under-resourced and marginalized people. Our guest today is Lisa Tepper Bates. Lisa is CEO of the United Way of Connecticut, whose mission is to help meet the needs of Connecticut residents by providing information, education, and connection to services such as food, shelter, and other basic needs. United Way of Connecticut works with partners in the state government, local United Ways, and Connecticut's communities to implement strategies that can lead to community impact. Since the FDA has approved vaccines, She has worked with the Connecticut State Department of Public Health to create a COVID vaccine appointment assist line. Prior to joining United Way, Lisa worked as Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont's Senior Coordinator for Housing and Transit-Oriented Development, and she chaired the Recovery and Immediate Needs subgroup of the state's emergency management team. In that role, she worked with senior leadership from state and federal agencies alongside leaders from nonprofits, trade associations, advocacy organizations, and philanthropy on a wide range of emergency response efforts, as well as on the development of a statewide framework to engage multi-sector partners in planning for recovery from the impacts of COVID-19. Prior to her work in the governor's office, she was CEO of the Connecticut Coalition to End Homelessness. Thank you for joining us today, Lisa. And with that, I'll turn it over to Philip. Lisa, thanks so much for joining us today. I wonder if you would start off by telling us what brought you to United Way of Connecticut. Thank you, Philip and Rhett, for having me today. And uh, I'm very pleased to say that uh, the mission of United Way of Connecticut, to me, uh, has such incredible resonance. It is a collective effort to help those who most need the assistance that we can provide in the way of connection to services and supports already out there in the community. Uh, But at the same time, our statewide platform allows us visibility over the needs we're able to meet and the needs where there might be gaps. And where there are gaps, we're able to work in partnership with United Ways across the state, nonprofits, and with state government to understand how we can be part of the solution to filling those gaps. And Philip, I'd say that that role is even more important in this time of COVID where things have moved very quickly uh, in a direction that we see more need and we are able to identify those newly opening gaps related to the impacts of COVID. And we've got several projects underway right now uh, to try and and help the citizens of Connecticut in this challenging time because we have the statewide platform and that visibility. Thank you. Now, I know that United Way is known for the 211 service. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about that uh, and how many people you're able to help each day. Well, thank you, Philip. Two one one, as you know, is a, a really a national program. Uh, we have partners across the country, uh, but what makes two one one of Connecticut really special is the fact that we are fully statewide. We are twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, year round, and 
We also offer crisis services in addition to basic human needs referral and information. Uh, and I can tell you that last year, uh, we actually responded to uh, 3 million uh, phone and internet requests because we are also, um, you know, as society moves forward, as people have different ways they look to connect, uh, we have tried to, to stay as close as we can on the cutting edge of communication. So uh, we have seen, as you might expect, uh, traffic on our website increase very rapidly in the last few years. And so we've been working hard to provide new tools via the website that can help people uh, to explore what's available and to meet their needs, uh, even without placing that phone call. And if they do want to call us, then, of course, we're glad to have the conversation with them. Hmm. Thank you. So now I've heard that Connecticut's 211 service is um, a model for the rest of the country. Why is that? Well, that, that's right, Philip. And I'm, I'm, I have the privilege to represent uh, United Way of Connecticut's 211 in my, in my new role. But I can also say that uh, because I'm relatively new here, uh, I can sort of brag about the staff that came before me and the leadership that came before me and their tremendous efforts to build this into uh, the tremendous resource that it is. Uh, and so 211 of Connecticut uh, has for many, many years, really since the beginning of the, the movement to develop 211s, uh, has been a leader in terms of setting those standards of both how we want to work in an information and referral respect uh, with regard to regular uh, requests, if you will, but also how we envelop those additional resources. So um, we are accredited not only by the Alliance for Information and Referral Services, but also by the American Association of Suicidology. Uh, we are able to, uh, to be that single resource for uh, the suicide prevention hotline in the state of Connecticut. Uh, and for our mobile mental health crisis services. Uh, and so really the way we are setting that standard is through the uh, ability to offer both the standard services and those really important crisis services that can be necessary at two in the morning on a Tuesday or noon on a Sunday um, when, uh, when traditional offices are not going to be available. And, uh, and so we are. Uh, and we offer those crisis services. That's part of it. But another part of it as well relates back again to that technology. Really, really proud of the work that we've done on our 211 website, again, to empower people to do uh, the information and referral searches uh, on their own, if that's most comfortable. Uh, and the web platform that we have built in Connecticut, uh, we are sharing with other 211s. So our website uh, is also... Uh, the, as a template being used by our partners in uh, Colorado uh, and also in uh, North Carolina as, uh, as an additional way that they too can uh, provide a service to their residents in addition to the phone-based support. Uh, so that is part of the way that the great team that I've had the chance to join here uh, has been reaching out to other 2-on-1s to provide that template and provide that, that support. Mm. That's great. So United Way of Connecticut really is a national leader, it sounds like. I think that's fair to say. And uh, part of the testament to that is the fact that in the pre-COVID world, uh, colleagues from across the nation would either be directed to us or would find us on their own and would come visit to learn about the history of how the 211 of Connecticut was put together, what we do, 
and how all of the pieces work. Um, it's an important service and it's a complex system. Um, so I, I think that that's the real testament is that our partners and, and friends wanting to build a 211 or wanting to improve their 211 have often sought out Connecticut and, and come to visit to have those conversations with us. Mm, that's great. And do you have a vision for providing even greater service to the people of Connecticut via 211 than currently? Well, thank you, Philip. You know, I, I have the, the opportunity to draw on my work as a direct service provider at the local level, as well as my uh, experience working at the statewide level on issues regarding the way we provide services to those who are most vulnerable and, and most in need of, of help. And uh, I firmly believe, based on all that experience, that given this statewide 24-7 resource that we have built in the way of 211 of Connecticut, there are a lot of opportunities open to us to leverage that powerful platform to provide even better and, and more service to people who need us. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, we're in conversations right now with a specific municipality in the state about uh, providing an even tighter connection to resources where we would work with them to make sure that the citizens of that municipality are connected to resources via a referral that we can provide electronically via 211. And on their end, their commitment is that if we provide that referral, that they will come into our shared platform and actually create a what we call a closed feedback loop to let us know if they reached out to that resident and what happened. Uh, and Philip, that is really the, the next frontier with regard to this type of information and referral service is to close that loop, to know what happened, and then be able to work in partnership with the providers on the ground in understanding what that will tell us about what's working and what's not and where there's an opportunity to do better. So that's one example. Another example that I'm very excited about uh, are the conversations we're having with some partners in the workforce development world to think about how together we might be able to build an online portal to help a job seeker, uh, someone who due to COVID is finding themselves out of work and doesn't really know where to start in thinking about retooling their skill set or looking for a new career pathway. Uh, we're going to work with them uh, to build an online navigator that could, uh, we hope, walk someone through their skills, their level of education, the areas where they might need more training, and to understand their interests and to help direct them to that resource uh, in the most direct way that we can. So ideally, it would lead all the way through to a proposed career path and even allow them to book at that same time on the internet uh, an appointment with a career counselor to keep moving toward that goal. Uh, so those are just a couple of examples of, of where we are. And the more we leverage this platform and what technology can do to connect people to the resources, the support, the education that they need to secure that better financial future for their family, uh, the more we're serving our mission and creating real value for the people of Connecticut. That's excellent. Lisa, you use the word partnerships here several times, and I just wonder if you could tell us, tell our listeners, what it takes to create successful collaborations. Philip, that's such an important question, I think, now more than ever. In the world, say, 20 years ago, each nonprofit could operate in its own silo, doing whatever it was seeking to do to serve its mission. But that has, uh, that has limitations. I think we find that, and there's significant evidence to this, 
when we can work as teams, when we don't just think inside our own organization, but we think in partnerships, we're able to create more and better value to serve the people uh, that we want to help. But I, I have to say that I, I think um, what you, you have to do is to go into that discussion about partnership, um, ready to give something up as much as to gain something. And I, I think that that is both the opportunity and, and the challenge that you have to accept and understand that when you collaborate, it means that you will provide more value toward your mission, but you will have to give up something. And that might just be the way you have been used to doing something. It might be the type of approach you've taken in the past, um, but you have to accept that there will be change and, and change means uh, some amount of loss. You have to give some things up to gain something bigger. Uh, but for my part, and, and it is baked into the DNA of the United Way model, uh, we believe in those partnerships and uh, we believe in doing what it takes to make them work. Uh, but I believe if you can accept that there is a necessary path of, uh, of accepting that change will be uh, the nature of what you're doing and that will mean giving something up, I think you can make partnerships work. Hmm. And sometimes in giving things up, you're able to uh, provide more uh, to the people that you serve. I think almost always that's the case uh, in my experience, Philip. Uh, we've had tremendous success with regard to efforts to do better uh, in responding to the needs of people experiencing homelessness in Connecticut by doing exactly that, by saying, you know, there are hundreds of providers, whether shelter or housing, uh, mental health and addiction services across the state of Connecticut who work with people experiencing homelessness. When we were able to bring them together as teams to think of clients, not as my client or your client, but as our client, and, and to work with those clients in a, a partnership as well, to think about how we empower them, not how do we uh, prescribe a way forward, but how do we work with clients to empower them to help determine their path. Uh, all of those different collaborations have yielded in Connecticut a very concrete result, a 50% drop in homelessness, annual homelessness in seven years. So I, I think the proof is in the pudding. And that, to me, is, uh, is proof that the mission is better served through that systemic effort to work in true collaboration. That's very encouraging. So, Lisa, you came to United Way of Connecticut in the middle of a pandemic. What role has United Way of Connecticut played in helping the people of Connecticut during this very trying time? It's an interesting way to start a new job, uh, to come in the middle of a, of a, a public health emergency and in, the, in, the, in a time when no one's in the office. Uh, we are very lucky because the nature of our work has meant that our workforce could be distributed working from home very easily. And we feel good about that from the perspective of protecting the health and safety of our staff. So almost uh, 70% of our staff from the start of the pandemic has been working from home. Uh, so one of the challenges there was getting to know the tremendous team that I have the privilege to work with. Uh, we did a, a, a long series of, of small Zoom meetings so that I could talk with people and and learn about them, learn about their perspective on the work, but also learn about them as people. 
uh, and uh, ask them, you know, did they want to share a story? Do they have a pet they would like to talk about or a hobby? Uh, and just to get to know them as people. Uh, I'm a big believer in the fact that uh, your staff has to know that you value them for what they do and you value them as people on your team. And uh, being able to, to get that across and to develop a relationship with the individual members of, of the staff has been more challenging than it would be if we could be in person together. Um, so that is, that's one reflection. The, the other piece of this, of course, is the, the nature of the work itself. Uh, we have been asked by our partners in state government uh, to take on, in, in very, very short order, a number of specific tasks related to providing support to the residents of Connecticut in this public health emergency. And uh, that was going on before I started in, in October of this year. Uh, but then we got an additional uh, new task uh, sort of um, put on our plate, which was to work with the state of Connecticut in standing up a telephone-based assistance line for people seeking to get vaccinated. Um, and uh, we were glad to do it. We stood it up in about four days' time before the governor uh, made the announcement. And uh, since that time, since the stand-up on January 14th of, of this year, we have, um, we have handled over 200,000 calls, and we have scheduled for vaccination almost 100,000 Connecticut residents. So we're about to cross uh, that that tremendous threshold of a real accomplishment, 100,000 scheduled through our service. Um, so we feel good about it. It's been a, a fairly breakneck pace, uh, and it has meant solving in real time every single day uh, issues of technology, issues regarding our data, issues regarding how we work with a large number of providers, 11 different healthcare providers across the state at what ranges from 20 to 25 vaccination sites. Um, so um, I'm very proud of my team. We're doing this all, uh, building the airplane as we fly it, because that is what we must do. Uh, and I'm really proud of their work and our partnership with the state of Connecticut, with the Office of the Governor, and with the Department of Public Health. Um, I think we'll all be glad to get to the end of this marathon, but we're very proud of being able to serve those who most need that help over the phone to schedule their vaccination. Uh, and we know that by helping make that connection, we're playing our role to help get Connecticut uh, back to what we hope will be a, a more normal way to, to live. So in responding to this challenge you've been given, um, ha have you been able to do this with the workforce you had when you came in as CEO, or have you had to hire additional people? Yeah, so Philip, we have had to scale up at a rate that would have probably been inconceivable to any of us before this effort began. Uh, we started with, uh, before the vaccine rollout, we had um, a workforce of 10 additional people who were on staff and answering COVID calls uh, at, uh, under uh, the previous arrangement. We added to that another 15. So we started with 25 people and it quickly became apparent that we didn't need 25. We needed about 300. And we needed 300 because the state asked us, could you staff up to handle 10,000 calls a day? And we said, we can do that if we have 300 people. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for our partners at the Department of Public Health. They said, all right, we're going to help you get to 300 as fast as possible. 
And so it's been a it's been a real um, challenge to sort out how do we get those uh, 300 contact specialists who can be uh, brought up to speed very quickly, uh, trained to do this work, and uh, and then to to also have the the ability to flex. There are times that the call volume is lower. There are times that it's higher. So it has been a challenge. We actually now have uh, four call centers operating as one to provide that uh, 10,000 call a day bandwidth. Um, and we meet every single morning to keep sewing the pieces together and keep making sure we're running as one team. But uh, it's been a, a challenge. And, and yet I think we're very proud of the work that, uh, that we've done and that we've pulled together to do for this state. Hmm. Excellent. Thank you. I wonder, uh, as you think about your own hiring, can you tell me about your own commitment to equity, diversity, inclusion um, in recruiting and retaining a strong workforce? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I think this is something we talk about so much these days, and I'm so pleased to see that because it's long overdue. And I think we all realize that more and more uh, as we're able to look backward. Uh, for my part, too, though, Philip, I'd say that the, the diversity, the finding uh, ways to lift up voices of those who have not always been at the table um, is is critical not just for my organization. And I have to say, I'm very proud of the fact that um, our workforce at United Way of Connecticut is actually uh, more diverse than the general population of Connecticut. Um, so that's tremendous because, uh, as you may know, um, part and parcel of our mission to serve those who most need our help means serving uh, communities of color and who are most vulnerable because, as you know, uh, communities of color are, in fact, disproportionately represented in terms of those who are vulnerable, who are living with the challenges of low household incomes. Uh, so our workforce is more representative of the population we serve uh, than it is representative of the population of Connecticut as a whole, and that's as it should be. Um, but to the question of um, the, the greater goals, I think what we're really talking about is um, is imperative to the way forward for our country as well as our organizations. America is changing. And uh, I firmly believe that the way we have a healthy democracy is by changing together um, as, as our times change. The demographics of our country have changed. Our consciousness about what it means and what the costs of people who uh, due to the situation around them, are living for generations in poverty. That is a cost not only to our neighbors who are living every day in poverty and their children. It is a cost to our democracy as a whole. Uh, our way forward as a country has got to be to strengthen what democracy, what the American system is able to offer to every single one of our citizens, from you know from the youngest child. To, to the oldest American, um, we have to be able to show that this is a system that serves us all. That's imperative to the way forward for our country. And I believe that organizations like United Way of Connecticut and the United Way Network can play a, an important role in, in leading the way and helping our neighbors and our supporters and, uh, and our clients to understand that these things are all related. Uh, and we have to, to do our part uh, as we look forward 
to what we hope is a better future. We hope that we bounce forward out of this crisis to a better place in America. And that's got to include lifting up people, uh, providing opportunities, meeting the needs of those who have been marginalized. Thank you. Very inspiring. Lisa, I wonder if you could tell us um, how United Way of Connecticut is supported financially. That's a, an excellent question. And, and for our part, you know, every, every United Way is a little bit different. Um, United Way of Connecticut um, is both the association of United Ways of Connecticut, of which there are 15, uh, but we are also a, um, a, a partner with state funding in creating these important services that we've talked about today. So we are um, fortunate in that we are supported by United Ways that work in their communities to fundraise with businesses and with individuals. And we're also supported by uh, contracts with our state government to support important services like 211, like the Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is part of 211. Um, and, and so it's a mix. Um, what I think we're all finding in these times uh, is that you've got to get creative. And so we are thinking hard about additional ways that, uh, that we can work to, uh, to develop the resources, to keep expanding our work to serve our mission. And uh, that's a challenge that we share with my colleagues in the nonprofit world. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Just one final question for you. And uh, curious as to what your vision for United Way of Connecticut is as you look three to five years down the road. That's a wonderful question, Philip. And I have to say, I, I'm an eternal optimist and, and I'm not afraid of, of hard work. I think there's a lot of potential, as we've talked about a little bit here today. But even in a bigger sense, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, an, an additional example of what I think we can do with the 211 platform we've built. There's a lot of discussion today in America about policing and why, in some occasions, things go off the rails with regard to police calls. Um, we believe, and, and we are part of a national movement discussing the fact that uh, for, for some needs, the right resource to call is 211 rather than 911. And we've had very productive discussions with the head of the chiefs of police of Connecticut about this. And I have to say, our, our, our colleagues in the world of policing absolutely, absolutely agree with this. this. But the question is, how do we move the public consciousness toward a better understanding of what's available at 211 and when should you call 211 and to build that muscle uh, so that we could actually um, move those calls away from 911 and to the 211 platform when we can provide the right resource. And Philip, that might mean in a, uh, in an, a situation where there is a, a mental health crisis. It might mean in a situation where there is, uh, where there is a basic needs crisis and, uh, and we really are the right resource to provide that immediate help. Um, and so we're hoping to work creatively and in partnership with police departments and, uh, our towns across the state to think about how can we be resourced adequately to, to make sure we can answer those calls when they come in, uh, but also to push out that consciousness into the public. Um, so that's, that's a real opportunity that we think could have uh, a salutary effect on some of the, the tensions around when police are, are not really the right resource, but we can be. 
an important example of where we can go with that. Uh, and I think also, uh, Philip, to our earlier set of, of, of questions about additional opportunities, uh, we have the we have, I, I think, a path forward to build even better tools on our website and through our call specialists to connect people as close as possible to that resource, to that, uh, to that extent of even having the appointment for them with the job counselor, as we discussed, as the way we close out the call. The closer we can move our callers to, uh, to a closure on what they need, the better the services that we're providing. And there's a lot of opportunity to, to really tighten up um, the path from our referral to making sure they actually have that appointment or are getting the food, uh, emergency food that they need or are getting that utility assistance. Um, so I'm looking forward to working with partners across uh, a, a wide range on how we can be part of that solution to making sure that folks in need are getting with as few conversations as possible that help in the fastest timeline. Um, and so I, I hope we can check back in and I hope I'll have lots of, of good new examples of progress to share with you uh, in the future. Thanks so much, Lisa, uh, for speaking with me today. And uh, I will certainly look forward to following the good work there of United Way of Connecticut. Thank you again. Thank you, Philip. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Yeah, thank you both so much for that conversation. And thank you to the listener for tuning in. We would love for you to subscribe to this podcast so that you can catch up on our old episodes, as well as be the first to hear new ones. And we'd also invite you to visit imsearch.com for more information or follow Isaacson Miller on our socials, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram at Isaacson Miller. Isaacson Miller's podcast content provides general information only and does not constitute recruiting guidance or advice. No representations or warranties are made with respect to the accuracy or completeness of this content. All liability from the use or misuse of Isaacson Miller's content is hereby expressly disclaimed. The content contained in our podcasts should be used only at your own risk.